Welcome back to the Business of Primary Care podcast. This season, we will be discussing the ins and outs of value-based care. Before we dive into today's show, let me introduce you to the guests on the episode. We kick it off with our host, Katila Fartley, a registered nurse certified in value-based care, and Dr. John Hart, a VBC expert and author. We're also joined by Sean Mara, founder and CEO of HealthTap, Rick Merrill, co-founder and president of AeroHealth, and Alice O'Carroll, interoperability product manager at Florida Blue. So without further ado, let's dive back into the conversation on technology and value-based care. So welcome back to Business of Primary Care. Today, we are continuing the conversation with technology. So we're calling it part two of technology. And uh, in our previous episodes, we were talking about electronic medical record, electronic health record, however you see it, EMR, uh, talking about how technology can be an enabler. We spoke about patient engagement, different ways of utilizing services you likely have if you do have an EMR, such as your portal, uh, different ways to communicate with your patients. Some people are using chat boxes and some people are, are doing the same, same old same, just like they always have. Uh, but just remembering that you do have a lot of different options with the tools that you have. Thinking through alternatives to Dr. Google, how that impacts uh, the clinics, how the patients perceive medicine these days. We were also discussing different tools such as uh, self-scheduling, virtual visits. We, we briefly talked about telehealth. We're going to start diving into remote patient monitoring and uh, how that technology can lead to better outcomes. So I'd really like for us to kind of transition into that, Dr. Hart, and start talking specifically about how all of these items are meant to lead to better outcomes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the evolution of technology in healthcare over the last 10 to 20 years has allowed for more of that push and pull of information. You know, you, it, as we talked about in episode one, a lot of people started with Dr. Google and then we, you know, figured out ways of working around that and, and exchanging information, but it's really about um, patients getting information to their physicians and their providers and and practices getting information to their patients and in real time and and acting on that and and that's how technology can really impact uh, outcomes and since value based care is outcomes driven uh, rather than output driven um, using tech to enable it and improve outcomes just makes perfect sense even if the reimbursement for the billable services related to that tech isn't where we want it to be right now. You know, they're talking about taking away funding, uh, you know, reimbursement for telemedicine and things like that. You know what? In a value-based care world, it stinks, but it's going to, it's still going to allow us to have opportunities to positively impact the outcomes of those patients. So like, like so many other aspects of value-based care, sometimes investing in the non-billable service is going to yield a bigger return on investment and ROI without the ability to bill directly for that service. And I think what you just said a second ago was real-time information. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so many practices are still dealing with just trying the number of phone calls they get and always being behind. And then they start adopting the portals and then they're drowning in messages and people are just trying to figure it out. 
and being able to surround yourself. These areas, extra staff to take messages so that you're getting portal messages versus phone calls. You could you could consider a lot of that non-billable, right? Like yeah. I just I find it all very fascinating that you have to be willing to think through a work a true workflow change than than just adopting. So Sean, who we heard from in episode one of Tech, he noted technology and outcomes, and he then he spoke to the ev- evolution of telephonic access into telemedicine. And I want to make a note to the listeners. I like how Sean refers to patient engagement and adherence, not compliance. Subtle, but an important mind shift. What a fantastic circle. And I love that you touched on something that is resonating with me, and that's patient education. Patients taking the time to really become the center of their own care and providers and collaborators and support and technology circling the patient so that they can be the champion of their own care with the right support. And so I love your initiatives around educating the patient. I think that's probably one thing that's going to continue to be a front runner in the next couple of years, especially as we shift to value-based care. Outcomes mattering more than just visits. Outcomes, especially in value-based care, but outcomes in general, are directly a function of patient engagement and adherence. Patient adherence engagement is a function of understanding human psychology. And people don't like doing things that don't have immediate reward. And healthcare is just unfortunately one of those things where you have to change your behavior with payoffs months, years, or decades from today. So how are you going to convince someone to keep doing a thing, like have good exercise and diet, when they see no payoff from it? It's tough. How are you going to convince them that an annual checkup with your doctor is worth it because one day it'll catch some theoretical thing that you don't have today? And so I didn't share this, but some of the startups that I did before Health Tech were in online consumer gaming where the industry of gaming is all about creating experiences that hook people and engages them to do things that are fun and rewarding in intrinsic or extrinsic ways. And so applying that thinking to healthcare, saying some of the easiest triggers to latch onto are ones where there's an extrinsic trigger, where there's a pain or an itch that the patient has that you can scratch or alleviate, right? It can be literal a pain in an itch, but it could also be figurative, right? It could be figurative. Like I'm really worried uh, if I should be using organic laundry detergent for my baby's clothes, right? It could be something as vague as that, or I'm not sure if I should be eating sushi if I'm diabetic and pregnant. I've heard all sorts of things that it's not good for me. So it could be simply an informational query, but it is that hook that leads the patient to take action. And if you can meet them in that moment to say, that's a great question. Let me answer that for you and tell you about the implications uh, for what it means with you and your health and what actions you need to take as a result. Then that's how you achieve outcomes. Because taking a otherwise disengaged populace and convincing them to visit your clinic so you can do a whole bunch of things that they didn't ask to be done is asking to scratch an itch they don't know they have. Right? So I think you're totally spot on um, serendipitously going through this journey of starting with answering people's questions before they seek a doctor visit 
framed this whole industry in my mind in a very, you know, engagement centric problem solving manner, which is this only works if we give patients what they're looking for. It's not going to work if we're shoving care down the throats of people. We're not seeking it. Oh, that's so powerful. That is the solution to value-based care. You just said it. It's it's so interesting to me. I like to talk when I talk to different practices, there's proactive approaches and then there's reactive approaches. And a lot of primary care clinics are drowning in reactionary moments. It's like you have to take a minute and step back and think about how to get ahead of it so that you can start to breathe down the back end. And you're exactly right. They don't know where to scratch, <laughs> right? Telehealth began largely as an evolution of nurse hotlines and after-hours hotlines where it acted like an urgent care call center model. Uh, There's going to be a nurse, sometimes a doctor, who is going to be sitting in a call center to pick up calls when people come and have a question. In that moment, that patient is being connected with a stranger that will come up to speed as best they can in two or three minutes because Often they don't have your full medical history in front of them and try to solve your problem in the remaining four, five, six minutes that they have uh, with you on the phone. They're being offered urgent care. You're not taking care of your diabetes or your blood pressure or asthma or your COPD or your low thyroid in these urgent care calls. Maybe your fever and COVID or cold and flu, maybe a random poison ivy rash, but certainly not the chronic conditions that plague hundred million Americans. So, What we did was born out of those observations, which is there are too many people focused on too specific a value proposition to too small of a segment. The big universal need that this country is needed, that we need to resurrect in healthcare, is a notion of a family doctor, the notion of an individual primary care doctor who can really take a look at a whole body and mind approach over many years and decades and earns the trust and creates a personalized approach to you to have conversations about preventless wellness and can track how condition X is affecting condition Y in your body, right? Because it's all one connected system. And, and can we do so in a way at HealthTap that is accessible no matter how you pay for healthcare? So also what we do is making sure that that version of longitudinal relationship-based healthcare is accessible to you, whether you're uninsured, because we have a cash pay model that's affordable and fairly unique in that regard. That whether you're a gig economy worker, a 1099 freelancer, you, you didn't get insurance as a benefit from your work, uh, can you pay for primary care in much the same way you pay for Spotify or Netflix at a similar price point? And it's totally doable. The business can work. It's just no one had attempted that. At the same time, how do you take seniors or people that live in rural areas in medical deserts who have significant access issues to PCPs, not just geographically, but ability to transport themselves and very much have a need and create a go-to-market strategy that appeals to those people like becoming a virtual primary care practice for Medicare Advantage plans? Right. Going to health plans and say, let us be in it. Uh, we're talking about value-based care for sure, but can we just be a fee-for-service primary care practice that um, finally gets a PCP in front of these seniors and uh, members of your population that haven't seen a PCP in years, but really should? Because <laughs> they're taking six medications for God knows which conditions, and someone probably needs to calibrate that treatment for them. 
So um, I think our success and our focus is best described as uh, how do we take that longitudinal relationship-based version of primary care and uh, uh, deploy it in all sorts of different ways that service all the different segments in this country that uh, have their healthcare paid for and accessed in, in unique ways. And so we're nimble in that regard. We have plenty of different business models and commercial strategies for each of those segments, but it lets us go to population in this country that really don't have those otherwise very seemingly commonplace telehealth options. So there it is again, relationship. Katila, I am going to sound like a broken record this season on this point of relationship. The relationship between patients and the people that provide them healthcare is absolutely essential to get the necessary engagement to improve outcomes. Uh, plus, it's the best way to uncover obstacles to care that exist for that individual patient. Now, you and Sean go on to talk about the impact of this technology on docs and providers too. So let's listen in on that. And, and it eases the burden. Uh, I remember in the middle of COVID, my daughter's wheelchair bound and her neurologist asked if we could do a televisit. And instead of me having to load, you know, physically lift her, put her in her wheelchair, load her in a car, unload her, get her in for a conversation that really was mostly conversational. I found it to be the best experience. And with some of our primary care providers, they even went to the extent of, hi, Mrs. Smith, let me see inside your refrigerator. Because a lot of times providers, they don't really see the real picture. Patients get dressed up. They they look at this as a, a really exciting moment. They go to the provider and they're not their real self and they don't show you any maybe food disparities they have or um, all of the things, right? And so we, we found in the moment of COVID, you've been doing this many, many years longer, but we found true signs of ways to be more impactful because we were seeing the real picture by being invited into their home. You're exactly right. And, and so many physicians and, and providers mistakenly think virtual care is some diluted form of doctor-patient relationship. And what our CMO and many of the doctors who practice with us will tell you is counterintuitively, it, it, intuitively, it is an enhanced form of doctor-patient relationship because of exactly what you said. When you're videoing with a patient, you're not only seeing them in their natural context, how they behave and act and their social environment and, and home environment, but you're making eye contact. You know, you, you don't have your back against them while you're typing into an EMR workstation while rushing in and out of rooms. You're captively engaging them. And little things like eye contact lead to patients getting much deeper and open with you in, in ways that they wouldn't when, you know, they're in a public space with potentially people hearing and nurses coming in and out of rooms. And so when they're in the comfort and privacy of their own home, you just connect on a deeper level and then you end up making more effective treatment decisions as a result. I love this too, because you're also taking what maybe people that would retire sooner because they're tired of the daily commute or the, the, the 
exhaustion of running from room to room, seeing patients and perhaps extending their career a little bit longer. Cause I know a lot of doctors who really aren't ready to retire, but they're ready to change their lifestyle. And I ha- I imagine you probably pick up a lot of those really amazing providers with years and years of experience into this opportunity with your company. It, would I be wrong in assuming that? You're exactly right. But that's only one type of churn or, or reason for turnover. I mean, physicians are humans, like in any other profession, they want to work from home. They want to live anywhere, right? Why should only the tech workers get that privilege? Physicians have to take maternity and fraternity leave. Sometimes they take sabbaticals. Sometimes they want to be on vacation for 30 to 60 days somewhere nice, but not be completely unresponsive to their patients. So there's so many structural reasons that enabling remote access to your patients lets physicians that would otherwise be taken out of the supply and lets them stay in the supply of physician development patients. And so I think in the big picture sense, virtual care is doing something very critical for this country, which is addressing these physician shortages. Sean illustrates that technology via telemedicine can make the experience better for physicians as well as patients. We talked in part one of this technology episode about tech-enabled access, and it really, it works both ways. Access can be improved for patients, but the ability to be accessible can be improved for docs. Now, to be clear, I don't think that telemedicine is the solution to all health needs. I think there's a lot of things that can't be done as effectively virtually as can be done in in real life, real time, touching, seeing the patient, uh, analyzing their body fluids and things like that. But yeah, let me just layer in real fast. Um, I think as long as you do both simultaneously, right? Like uh, we created a workflow that we would do phone visits between no less than two visits a year. Um, if it was a more chronic, complicated patient, no less than four times a year. So you could it, you could put them in between. And I, I do think about other, um, like thinking of internist and the, the primary care as that specialist and being able to interject into, especially in rural America, where you know, maybe you've got some, some clinics that don't have uh, physicians there, but they have other team members and being able to interject their thoughts and assistance with those patients they can't physically touch. In terms of chronic illness management, I think telemedicine is grossly underutilized. I think you could even push that envelope further than what you just mentioned and say, you know what, uh, for a stable diabetic patient or a stable patient with hypertension or something like that, you could probably physically see them once a year and follow up with them either telephonically or with telemedicine a couple other times during the year and help keep them out of trouble. And that's where I think we're underutilizing it. Where I think we get into trouble as physicians is when we think that we can treat all acute illnesses via telemedicine the same way we do in the office. So that's really where I was going with that. I I think absolutely the management of chronic disease uh, can be augmented to such a great extent through the utilization of telemedicine. Um, But that's where we need to to focus it. And I think, you know, another very important tech-enabled access point besides telemedicine and beyond these secure portals that we were talking about and things like that is remote patient monitoring or RPM, as we call it, 
which I guess we can call it that nowadays because not many people buy vinyl records anymore. So they don't worry about 78 <laughs> RPM or, uh, you know, 45 rotations per minute. I love um, that. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I, 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 I could tell that you really didn't have a clue, but that's what I think of when I think of RPM is rotations per minute around that turntable. Um, and of, of course DJs now they don't let the record rotate fully around the turntable so who knows what the RPM is but anyway a lot of folks don't think about RPM as as access but it definitely is and in fact it's a pretty constant passive access with an active access when needed lots of access there so since we're talking about remote patient monitoring our next guest rick talks about the nuts and bolts of remote patient monitoring rpm as you're saying and i i love that i've just learned something new uh, let's give this clip a listen so tell me a little bit about AeroHealth um, and other ways that you guys i know you um you consider yourself an enabler of technology initially launched out working on documentation. Tell me about remote patient monitoring. Uh, and for the for those in the audience, RPM is another term that you hear. Um, but give, give us a little insight, because I know you guys are so much more than that. But let's just talk about remote patient monitoring for a moment. Absolutely. Well, I mean, remote patient monitoring is, is near and dear to the team's heart. It's really the first use case that we worked on to develop a way to easily share information um, in any care setting type. And so with remote patient monitoring, we found that um, simply supplying devices or software doesn't really move the needle on patient engagement and their ability to understand and co-manage their own care plan. And so with remote patient monitoring, we focus our work on supporting care teams that reside um, mostly in the primary care, family medicine, cardiovascular specialties where they feel there's a benefit for their patients to be enrolled in assigned one or more devices that really act as um, sort of a radar to their health while they're outside of the office. Um, and so think some of the most common devices that are assigned are scales, blood pressure cuffs, pulse ox, glucometers. Um, for patients typically who um, have chronic conditions that they, they're working on managing better around COPD, CHF, hypertension, diabetes. And those devices are prescribed to the patient along with the care plan. And we've met the providers where they're at, which is this constant theme for us, uh, which is making it easy for them to enroll a patient in their RPM solution of choice without ever leaving their EHR, um, gaining the patient's consent, making sure the patient has a good understanding of the goals of the program. Within Typically, 72 hours of that patient being enrolled, um, our care team reaches out. So we actually have a pod of MAs um, who are health coaches that are in supervised that develop a one-to-one -one relationship with that patient. Um, so we put a lot of value on having a health coach that's assigned specifically to that patient so they can develop the relationship and rapport to help assist that patient as they're navigating care. Those touch points really create a excellent understanding for the patient, the benefit of remote patient monitoring, as well as they sort of act as a liaison oftentimes between the patient and the prescribing provider, um, making it easier for the patient's results and concerns and updates 
to get back to the provider organization without the challenges of trying to call into the clinic or send a fax or worse yet, find some level of integration into that EHR. Um, So we really oftentimes refer to this as a turnkey solution where we provide the underlying software that enables the health coaches to drive results that um, have been identified by the prescribing provider and why that patient is enrolled. And do you document in that provider's direct EMR or are you sending messages? How how do you guys really become part of that care team? Great question. So again, with meeting the theme of meeting the provider where they're at, um, our health coaches work in an independent remote patient monitoring platform, but all of the information that is documented um, from updates and notes to the care plan to um, summaries of the phone conversations, text exchanges uh, between the, the health coach and the provider, they're all made directly accessible inside of the EHR through our AeroBridge technology. That's fantastic. Uh, one more question. Uh, what about the caller ID? Because that is a biggie, right? Like patients picking up that phone, it's just kind of like when the, in, when the payers are trying to reach out, pr- patients want to talk to their provider's office. So to truly be an extension, is that another item that you guys handle? Is that caller ID for those health coaches? It is. It's a, sm- it's a great point. It's a small touch that goes a long way. Uh, we found early on uh, a patient isn't nearly receptive to pick up a call. Say they live in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and the caller ID is, is Philadelphia. So um, one of the things that we've done is making sure that we generate a phone number that is close as possible to the clinic where they were prescribed remote patient monitoring. Also, the health coach identifies himself as an extension of the clinic, um, just really sort of keeping the, the relationship whole between that patient and their provider at the clinic. I love that. And I, I think that's so important because for practices to really keep their number of uh, FTEs down, uh, keep that additional benefit burden, uh, contracting with a group like yourself, that seems to me pretty smooth. Do you have practices, though, that don't want it that far? They just they just want the service of the remote patient monitoring? We do. We absolutely do. Um, a number of our smaller independent clinics um, and even some of our larger ACO partners, they have invested in their own care management or health uh, coaching teams. And so we provide both our independent RPM platform for them to be able to apply and manage the remote patient monitoring program. And then AeroBridge delivers all that insight directly into the workflow of what whatever EHR they're, they're operating on. I've heard it said, and, and I firmly believe this, that the only person who is with a patient 24-7 is the patient. People have accused me of being Dr. Obvious in the past, and this is a Dr. Obvious statement that the only person with them 24-7 is themselves. But it's so important to be in the homes of patient, and technology helps us do that through telemedicine, remote patient monitoring. You know, in my opinion, RPM is a powerful and underutilized tool. I said it before, but I think especially in the management of chronic fragile diseases like diabetes, heart failure, COPD, Uh, And I do think it's getting demystified as the general public interacts more with 
health and well-being apps, you know, like yoga apps or well, weight loss apps, and there's mindfulness things out there and relaxation. All those things, I think, are, are breaking down some of the walls to where people don't feel so weird about interacting with an app for their diabetes or their heart failure. And I work out every day with a remote tech. I I ride, uh, I cycle every single day doing it. And I, I wear my watch and it's very natural for me. So it's kind of interesting. I've never thought about it as that could be remote patient monitoring. Yeah. Technically speaking, if it's recording your data while you're exercising, you are being remotely monitored as an exerciser. Never, that'd never be, thought of that. <laughs> that'd be REM, which would be rapid eye movement or the group from uh, Georgia that was popular in the 80s. <laughs> Um, so, but RPM, it's really, and it's more than just a Bluetooth device. And it's more than just like, say your exercise app where you're, you know, that data just is getting downloaded into nowhere, um, uh, or getting into a space where nobody's really looking at it. It's, but it's, it's more than just sending information into cyberspace. It's truly an access point to care. There's that access word again, but I, Relationship and access are two of the big drivers of, of, of good care, which leads to value-based care. And we'll hear Rick mention the importance of relationship again. And so I want to take it back to Rick uh, on outcomes and some finer points with RPM. I'm curious about uh, specifically w- with regards to remote patient monitoring, what are the, the best outcomes you're seeing? Or what, I, mean, I guess, maybe what has surprised you regarding patient outcomes? Sure. Um, well, to start, I, I was sort of the biggest skeptic a few years ago, whether or not patients would actually text back, especially uh, Medicare age patients. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, they really embrace, embrace texting. But as far as outcomes go, what we found is that the first few days, two to three days from the time that a provider has introduced and gained consent from a patient to participate in remote patient monitoring, that getting a patient to use the device in the first couple of days is incredibly important to getting them to actually participate in the program. So talking specifically around outcomes, I just want to make sure I'm really clear we often try times try to put ourselves sort of behind the scenes, right? So if, if the provider feels like remote patient monitoring would help this patient manage their chronic condition better, then our work is to make it as easy as possible and as simple as possible for them to enroll, engage a patient. And then the health coaching is sort of that support system that helps that patient manage their way through the process. From an outcome-specific portion, it's just... What's really notable is once the patient is engaged in using the device is the amount of information that comes beyond the vital that's collected. And what I mean by that is, you know, while we're still pretty early in the first couple of years of being able to capture not only the outcome data, but crosswalk it back against um, or the vitals and crosswalk it back against the outcome data um, are the pieces of information that impact the care beyond the physical device that's been prescribed. So finding out that Mrs. Jones, while she hasn't called and canceled her appointment and her appointment's still on the calendar, the health coach knows that her son Rodney's out of town and he's the one that always takes her to the appointments. She's not showing up at the end of the week. 
and relaying that information back to the clinic and giving them an opportunity to intervene or provide a, um, a telehealth visit, just really trying to make sure that that patient doesn't fall through the cracks. Another sort of example of that might be the clinic is getting a, uh, a script fill feed and it appears that Mrs. Joan is taking her medication because she's filling her, her script. But the health coach knows that she's actually concerned about the cost related to it and she's breaking the pills in half. And so it may look like her blood pressure is high based on the medication that's been prescribed and the protocol that's been laid out for her. But in all actuality, she's not taking the medication as it's been prescribed by the provider. That is such a powerful intervention to be able to catch that. That's such a proactive, especially for the clinics that are really heavy into value-based care, to pick that up without having to wait on an end-of-year report that says your patient has been in compliance. Uh, I like where you're going with that, and it, it is so much more than just technology. It sounds like a true partnership. Out of curiosity, what do you think we should be preparing for the next one or two years? Definitely, uh, we see interoperability major. I mean, I'm hearing that is a big focal point for, for your group, especially. Um, multiple platforms, multiple systems, watching you know how CMS is making changes. Is there... Um, an area of focus that has your attention? Absolutely. Um, you know, we spend our days in addition to remote patient monitoring, really seeking out and working with um, other healthcare organizations that are trying to trying to improve healthcare, but struggle to be able to surface their information to the right member of the care team at the right time. And historical integration has really, there's a compromise oftentimes, which is you sacrifice the user experience by trying to force fit your information through backend integration. And with so many of these services, I think working in harmony, you know, remote patient monitoring from our perspective, for example, is a really good complementary service to chronic care management and transitional care management. And, you know, CMS's stance on reimbursement and having a patient enrolled in one or more of these programs, I think, is, a, is an excellent nod to that. So having CCM information, RPM information, TCM information all stored in, you know, one or more platforms that then are trying to force feed that information into the platform a provider uses, which is the EHR I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, taking that highly curated user experience and bridging it into the front end workflow of a provider is something we're really focused on. And I think that that's, that's the work we're committed to doing. There's a lot of like very brilliant groups out there that are um, trying to provide real-time insights. And I think, you know, AeroHealth and others can help them crack the code on getting those insights in directly into the, the clinical workflow. As we near the end of the episode, let's dig into some of the challenges that practices face in their shift to value-based care. When I think about challenges, I'm thinking about multiple platforms, infrastructure, workflows, but most importantly, I'm thinking about the change management. Absolutely. I, I think that's, Katila, that's where a lot of people forget 
to uh, tie the bow around technology as they're bringing it into their organization or their practice. And you and I hear this all the time in our our work that um, people think, well, we can just if we buy this technology, that's going to get us into value-based care. That's going to make us successful. But they forget that there's workflows associated with that technology and that when you introduce new workflows, that means you probably need to have somebody stop doing something too or folks get overwhelmed. I can't agree with you more. It's so important. And I don't think anything else needs to be said other than that. So, uh, Dr. Hart, let's listen to see what Alice has to say surrounding challenges in technology. I would say probably the insight to how tech gets built uh, was really, really interesting and how challenging it is to get your consumers, your customers to move along with you because people are creatures of habit and they get used to doing something in a certain way. They get used to things looking a certain way. So if you log on to an application that you're used to using and all of a sudden what was over here in the top left-hand corner is suddenly over here in the top right-hand corner, you go, oh my God, it's broken. It won't work. The button I click is gone. Yeah. And you don't know what to do. And it's literally, they made it better. Um, and even though it may actually be better initially, it does not feel better because you're like, I know how to do my job. I know what buttons to click because in the provider office, that's how most of us are, Right. What button do I click through this EHR to make this thing that I need to get done happen? We, we don't get trained on the tech of it all. You just figure it out, right? Yeah. And it's very frustrating when it's all different. Yeah. Because it's hard enough as it is. Which site do I go to for which thing to make what thing happen? And that's part of why I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about today, because it leads into how the industry is progressing and eventually, I mean, we're a few years away from it, again, back to how tech progresses, but into how do we really make it easier and better, truly better, not just, you know, theoretically some designer saying, this is better. I love how you said uh, how, to, how to get them to move along with you, because you're, you're exactly right. Change management is a big piece of it. Exactly. And that's that's a huge part of it. Training is all about change management, right? Yeah, change management and technology. It's so important in, in making sure that you're going to have a successful journey in value-based care. I mean, frankly, in anything when you're introducing change, but in, in medical practices in particular, I think something that gets left out in these decisions is what's the impact of this change in the hallways and in the exam rooms. Uh, too often we get hung up uh, on change management within the corporate offices and we forget about how does this impact the physicians and the providers and the staff and, and what do we need to do to uh, alter that impact positively to, to get the results that we're all aiming for. Yeah, I used to, at my practice, I, I remember researching and I came across a saying, I didn't, I didn't state it, but if it's on the walls, but not in the halls. So essentially we would put the mission and vision statement up on the walls, but were your people actually following it through? 
And I just felt like that was very powerful. So I love that you bring attention to that. Um, So today we've covered a variety of information from basic electronic records to access. In our next episode, we will continue with Alice as she talks with us specifically about interoperability and its challenges, successes. It's a deep dive. She goes she goes pretty deep. So I'm excited about that because in this season two, uh, we want to give you not only what it is, but how to perform it and why it's so important. So I look forward to uh, bringing that to you in our next episode. Thank you for listening to the Business of Primary Care podcast. We are honored that you've chosen to be a part of this community. In a world where traditional primary care must adapt, evolve, and change to thrive, we believe community, supportive resources, and education are essential. We are committed to finding answers and a better way forward. You can expect us to provide you with the latest news, trends, and best practices so that you can win in the business of primary care. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our value-based care and our practice leaders newsletters at businessofprimarycare.com and follow us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes wherever you like to listen.